Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. And I am not with Pete Mitchell today because he is actually out doing what Pete Mitchell does, which is marketing. And I think it has to do with making him a bit of money. So he can't be here because he's got to pay his bills. But I have an awesome guest today. I have Matthew Robinson, who is the director of Media Gretier, and he is here today uh, on the show with me to talk about the new film that he's released recently uh, from his ministry, and it's called Logic on Fire. Matthew, welcome. Thanks, Peyton. We're going to talk about that film because often I have uh, guests on here who have to do with church planning. This is, after all, the Hardcore Church Planning Show. But yep. every once in a while, I put someone on here who, uh, whether it's about church planning or not, um, it's about God. And it's something that uh, can't be missed. It's something that I feel that if a church planner goes on the rest of his life church planning without knowing about this ministry or this topic, uh, it's going to be detrimental or you know, he's going to wish you know, looking back with hindsight, man, if I had had those tools, that would have really helped me. So you fall into that category today. So you are wow. the director. Sorry, was that? I said, wow. <laughs> well, you know, it's about yeah. Lloyd Jones. And we're going to talk a little bit about him for the generation that arose at New Not the Doctor. But yeah. uh, we will start off by saying, first off, you are the director of media, Gratier. Gratier. Um, tell us, what is that? Yeah, so media gratier is, um, first of all, what does it mean? It's uh, just a Latin phrase uh, that means the means of grace. And so the means of grace, as we tend to hold it, would be uh, coming from a Puritan point of view. We have the primary means of grace as being the Word of God. There's prayer. There's hearing the Word of God preached. There's singing. There's even fellowship with the saints that we would count to be a means of grace. The, the grace that was purchased by the Son is then applied by the Spirit to those that the Father has loved. And so we want to create media. We're a, we're a media ministry. We want to create media that can be used as a means of grace in that way. And so we're headquartered out of Tupi as a part of American Family Studios. Uh, we're just a small division within a much larger ministry, but we're laser-focused on doing those sorts of projects. So we were established in about 2013. Uh, our first flagship project was a 13-week, well, it's a 12-week, 13-DVD uh, multimedia Bible study that has two components, a uh, daily workbook and then, like I said, 13-DVD sessions that you would watch together as a small group. And that's called Behold Your God, Rethinking God Biblically by Dr. John Snyder, who I believe went to school where you went to school in Cardiff there, well, in, at West. Is yeah, that correct? West. Yeah, it's right in between Swansea and Cardiff, nestled right in the middle, two biggest city in Wales, and uh, the Welsh Evangelical School of Theology. 
previously known, probably when he went there, as the Evangelical School of Theology. But now, or sorry, no, 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 no. Yeah, he, Trinity St. David, I think, is what he where his yep. PhD is from. Yep, that's where that's the National University of Wales, where they get their accreditation from, mm. and uh, it's awesome, man. It's yeah. absolutely awesome. So that's so, uh, that's how we got started, and then after uh, about. A year later, so about a year and a half ago, we began work on this documentary called Logic on Fire. Well, you know, and and it's an awesome documentary. I've got it in my hot little hands right now. It is quite a package. It is uh, the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Well, the first question, if Pete were here, first question he would ask you is give us a little bit of your testimony so we can get to know you. And then we're going to move on and talk about the film, why it needed to be made. But let's hear about you, Matthew. You got quite a sure. story. You and I chatted on the phone not long ago. Let's hear a little bit about how you came to faith. Well, Ghost Pete, I I grew up. Um, <laughs> I went to. I, I lived down here in the South in Mississippi, and so my parents were uh, my parents were PCA Presbyterians. Uh, that's we grew up in a very conservative Presbyterian church. So I was catechized and. Thank God for that. You know, I don't remember which Puritan it was who said that we catechize our children because it's like laying up logwood in the soul. And then we pray that the divine spark of regeneration will come and set that on fire at some point. Uh, For me, it was 30 something years before that divine spark came along. But I went to an independent fundamental King James only Baptist school for, for six years, too. So safe to say I was pretty confused about things. And uh, couldn't wait to uh, just get away from anything to do with religion. I got into skateboarding and punk rock, which Mm -hmm. is a a strange thing to get into when you're in Tupelo, (laughs) Mississippi. But somebody made the mistake of of stocking, you know, Transworld or Thrasher magazine at the Piggly Wiggly here. And uh, (laughs) and I got a hold of one and thought, man, this is this is what I want to do with my life. And so um, that's, I mean, I'm going to meet a group of guys at the skate park when I get off work today. I still haven't grown up out of that. But um, yeah, that's just, that was the world that I got into. You know, what I have not grown out of, but what I've been delivered out of is that I set my heart early on. I mean, around 10 years old to go and find sin wherever it is. And it's kind of hard to find when you're in a little country town in Tupelo, Mississippi, but but you can find it. And so set my heart to find it. And gave myself completely over to it for for uh, a, a solid decade there. And there's really nothing that spectacular about that decade. That's kind of flyover country. Um, you know, it was a banquet in the grave, and that's what sin is. That's so when you feast on those things, uh, I feasted, and it was like eating death for ten solid years. And then I uh, started to try to get cleaned up and get religious a little bit. I started reading the words of Jesus in my Bible because the people who I knew who were Christians, they did a pretty good job of keeping it between the ditches in life. They weren't going to prison. They weren't overdosing on drugs. They weren't doing a lot of the same things that were going on around me and my friends. And so I, for personal, for selfish reasons, just wanted to and turn over a new leaf. And I had been studying world religions. I fancied myself an atheist, but I started to read the words of Jesus. And as you know, no one ever spoke like he did. And so it really got my attention. And somewhere around that time, I came into contact with C.S. Lewis's trilemma. About the time that I was ready to say, you know, this Jesus is a good teacher. That option was taken from me by uh, C.S. Lewis, who, as you're familiar with, I'm sure, 
uh, in mere Christianity shows that that's not an option. He's either a liar and evil, or he's a lunatic on the level of someone who, you know, lives under a bridge. And I think he said, you know, that their brain is like a poached egg. So he says he's the son of God, but he's not, he's a lunatic or else he's exactly who he said he was. And so I had to do business with that. Uh, called up some people who uh, were not, didn't have a very careful grasp on the doctrine of regeneration and explained, I think that I'm starting to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And their response was, welcome to the family of God, brother. So I started hanging out with Christian people and got a new community, got, you know, some new happy friends and got, you know, new, whole new lease on life. And it was great, but nothing changed on the inside. And so as things do, those things got old. And, uh, you know, I believe in church planting. I believe in the mission of the local church because it's because of a local church, because of a man who planted a church in a little town about 20 miles away from where I was that, that the Lord uh, encountered me where he is and changed my life. Uh, I came to sit under the preaching of the gospel. It's actually the fellow who uh, we wound up doing the Behold Your God study together, John Snyder. And I began to sit under what might be called an experiential Calvinism. Uh, preaching the, 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 the living faith in God. And, I, you know, this guy's talking about Jesus like he's a real person. And he's talking about knowing Jesus and mm. that Christ is precious to those who believe. You know, Christ as the firstborn of all creation. Christ as the treasure hidden in the field that when people find it in their joy, they go and sell all that they have just to have that treasure. And even though I had kind of been flirting with a cleaned up life and conservatism for about 10 years by that point, I didn't know anything about a Jesus like that. And it mm. was humiliating. It was humbling to the extreme. But the Lord in his mercy began to show me that I'd embraced a, a system of knowing things. I had embraced some true things, some notions, but I hadn't come to Christ. And so... Mm. What do you do in a situation like that? What do you do when you've been a Calvinist for 30 years, but you're not a Christian? What do you do when you, uh, you know, you said the sinner's prayer at your little uh, Baptist school that you grew up in preemptively before you go to sin, the sin that you intend to go sin. And then you say it afterward to sort of absolve your conscience. Yeah. How can a man be made right with God? Mm-hmm. Well, I called on the name of the Lord. And he was merciful and heard me. And, um, and I had always heard that it was like going from death to life or that it was sort of like going from darkness into light. But I'm here to tell you and, and anyone who listen that it's not poetry, that the new birth is real and that the new birth is to go from death to life. And so I experienced that the Lord and his mercies translated me out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his glorious son. And so. Uh, that was about six years ago. It's it's so powerful to hear, you know, that whole, you know, really the old school gospel preach because, you know, and, and Lloyd-Jones, who we're going to talk about, you know, was very, very um, straightforward on this, that Christianity was not a system of beliefs that you subscribe to. Christianity right. was an experience and an encounter with the living God. And I, I believe that today we've really cheapened um, what conversion is. And, you know, we've made it as easy as slip up your hand, brother. God bless. God sees your hand. 
Well, I don't need a guy to tell me that. If I've had a head-on collision with God, I, I don't need someone. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I do. And, and uh, Christianity, we don't have a pope, so we don't have. You can't tell a man, you know. Well, I, you've just gotten saved. I mean, that's, that's what right. the Spirit of God does. That's but right. yeah, Lloyd Jones definitely uh, held that, and and he held that because of he understood, you know, his background in in the Welsh Calvinistic Methodism that was informed by the Puritans, that were informed by the reformers, that. All the way back, there's been this thread of orthodoxy that holds that Christianity is a living faith. Well, let me let me jump tracks here, and thanks for sharing that. Let me jump tracks and hit into what we're going to talk about today, Logic on Fire. First off, personally, thank you for making the film. Um, I watched it. It, it. it pulled on me like I cannot tell you, A, because I spent 12 years of my life in Wales, yeah. um, but B, I have three pictures on my wall. I have a picture of Lloyd Jones back of that away. I have Charles Spurgeon that away and I have Batman that away. So uh, three of my heroes on the wall. And uh, of course, you know, I, I have to say the most influential person on my life uh, as far as the dead guys has been Lloyd Jones. And of course, Batman didn't count because he never lived. So, uh, but you know, here's the deal. Um, Lloyd Jones was phenomenal. Uh, and and probably uh, shapes me uh, as a preacher, shapes me as a thinker more than anyone. I've read almost everything he's read. And I say almost because uh, in the last 10 years, I haven't been as on top, but probably prior to 10 years ago, had read every single book, including the, the volumes on Romans, the volumes on Ephesians, cover to cover, just could not get enough of him. Yeah. And one of the first Christian books I read, probably, you know, about number five on my journey was a Sermon on the Mount. And I was young. I think I was 15. Yeah. That thing. But, what a great intro to life. Well, I, ironically, you know, the first book, two Christian books I bought, the, the gentleman who helped me understand who Jesus was and led me to faith was a... Um, uh, you know, he still doesn't remember doing this. We walked into a Christian bookstore and he picked up Charles Spurgeon lectures to my students and he picked up Lloyd Jones, Summer on the Mount, put them in my hands and said, read these. You need to read these. And so I said, oh, uh, okay. So I went to the counter and bought them and uh, had no idea why he put these in my hands. Years later, I asked him, why did you put these in my hand? He goes, I, I don't know. But, uh, but I'm, you know, you've made this film. It's a biopic. It comes uh, in a box set. It's a DVD. Uh, it, it is hours of content. Um, you've got the Logic on Fire uh, documentary. Then you've got three hours of extended interviews with Lloyd Jones's family, Ian Murray, John MacArthur Jr., Artsy Sproul, Andrew Davis, uh, Richard Owen Roberts, Ivy and Evans, Sinclair Ferguson, and others. And then on the disc three, You've got week 11 of the multimedia Bible study, Behold Your God, so you get a sample of that. Then you've got a 128-page cloth-bound book. The thing is absolutely beautiful. It's got uh, pictures of him. It's got notes uh, about the film participants. And then it comes, I mean, this is like a Lloyd-Jones collector's edition um, film. Then you've got five postcard prints. It's an amazing, this is obviously a labor of love. So first I want to ask you, who is Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones? 
Who mm. was he? That's a great question. And hopefully our film answers that much better than I can. But, you know, Floyd Jones was a guy, he lived 1899 to 1981. So you can imagine that life saw a lot of transition, saw a lot of change. He was born in the last year of the 1800s with no indoor plumbing. And he died the year that the Smurfs came on television. <laughs> so you can just imagine, I mean, there's world wars there, just the societal change that he saw. And he was, he was a medical student. He was a very advanced medical student, one of the youngest medical students to rise to prominence. And he rose all the way in his medical career to being second in command in a sense. He was the assistant to the doctor, to the king in the kingdom and would have replaced the doctor to the king and would have continued in a very, very lucrative medical career. And God interrupted his life and converted him. And immediately he felt called into the ministry, left this uh, Harley Street, London, posh life um, in a very scandalous way. They wrote about this in the newspapers when it happened, because here's this man with celebrity status in London going to backwater Wales to preach the Christian gospel, um, not any kind of modern, but the, the old school, as you said, you know, Christian gospel, uh, and evangelical in Wales. The, the closest thing that I could sort of explain, and I'm from Mississippi, so I can say this, but you can imagine if there was a celebrity in Hollywood or New York City who was converted and said, I'm moving to Mississippi and I'm going to preach in the Delta. Uh, to a little church and just going to do it because I want to go somewhere where nobody can take the credit for what's going to happen uh, because I'm going to preach the gospel there and I expect God to bless it. And I don't want anybody to be able to say, well, you know, that happened because A, B, and C. So and he did that. Guy, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, he did that. He saw an immense blessing in Wales, uh, something of real revival, even though he was very careful and would have said, well, it was a reviving. We didn't yeah. see a revival. Because in his estimation, and I think he's right, revival is when you have to start laying off the police force because this thing has affected a city. Mm. Um, you know. So uh, goes on to London, takes the uh, pastorate at Westminster Chapel, which is a stone's throw from the Queen's Palace there, uh, is, is one of the most influential conservative evangelical pastors in the UK goes on to be, uh, if you look at the conservative evangelical men in America, any of the T4G, TGC guys in the U.S., uh, to a man, you're going to find that Lloyd-Jones is in their top three of influences. So his mm -hmm. influence goes on, not just here, but really all around the world. And so the film tries to not only tell that story, but to make application all along to say, okay, why did he make the choices that he made? Because as helpful as reading his sermons are, I believe that it's his life, it's his pattern and life and ministry that, it, that we can most be helped by uh, in our day. Because the circumstances that he faced are so, so similar to the circumstances that you face. If you're listening, church planner, you face circumstances like Lloyd-Jones faced in his day. Reason being Human nature has never changed since, it, since we fell in the garden, and God's solution to fallen human nature has never changed since he provided it in his son and the gospel. And so the way that Lloyd-Jones applied that in principle, it will be very, very helpful to you. Yeah, and interestingly enough, if, um, 
you know, as a guy who went to Port Talbot, Wales, it, it, taking your point about his life and the choices he made, um, I spent three years living in Port Talbot, ministering as the evangelist at Lloyd Jones's Church, Sandfields. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It was known at the time as Bethlehem. Dockside Presbyterian Church and um, nicknamed Sandfields because it was right on the edge of the Sandfields estate, which was a rough area. And, you know, People I've got this garden. what an estate is. So a council yeah. estate is like HUD, you know, it's like it's um, project housing. Yeah, it's the yeah. hood. And, you know, literally right parking the car in the neighborhood where the church is, you, you can see it, Matthew, or a podcast listeners won't, but that is not a wrinkle. That is a scar from getting my head beat into the ground um, just maybe a hundred yards from the church one wow. Sunday morning. Um, the, it is a rough neighborhood. The guy put me unconscious. He beat me into blackout um, on a Sunday morning, punching the back of my head yeah. until I passed out. It is a rough place. And, you know, we... We have no idea that there's a, it, there's a couple of amazing books that you need to, to grab hold of. One is, is called, uh, oh shoot. Um, grace, grit and gumption by one of the guys, Geraint Fielder, who is actually one of the guys you interview. He's a, a historian of Welsh church history. And, uh, Geraint does a, an amazing, uh, job of detailing, the mission of the forward movement, which uh, Bethlehem, that church there uh, was one of eight churches planted in some of the roughest places. So church planner, these were church planters and I got an education. I would say that Sandfield prepped me for church planning just about anywhere, including uh, inner city, Long Beach. And you know, the, the, the bottom line is the, the other book you need to get hold of some of the stuff that Lloyd Jones faced was detailed in a book that his wife put together called Memories of Sandfields. And it details yeah. some of the really rough characters, uh, Bootstrap Bill, um, some of these guys on there that are just amazing. Um, you, you need to read that. But uh, Well, guys, and let's so, think, let's just pause. I mean, that gives great opportunity to say this. Let's give pause for a second and think, okay, so inner city missions, that's the topic on lots of people's minds. The conventional wisdom, if you're going to do inner city church planting, um, is, well, if you get a group together and you perform certain cultural functions, and so if you try to look like and sound like and be like, whether you're going into, you know, I don't want to use a pejorative, whether you go into Hipsterville, you know, Midtown, or you go into a really, you know, hardcore part of the inner city uh, that's that's gang ridden, et cetera. Whatever it is, if you embrace certain cultural things and you meet certain cultural expectations, well, then that's step one if you're going to be relevant. Well, Lloyd Jones lived in a day where people said that no one will ever listen to a sermon again. This is yeah. 1920s Wales. They yep. said that's such a Victorian, you know, ancient idea that people will sit down and listen to you talk for an hour out of the Bible. You know, we've evolved past that. We are way past that as a culture, 1920s Wales. Well, Lloyd-Jones looked into the scriptures and he saw, what did these men do when they went into cities? Well, they, procl- they preached Christ. They had determined to preach Christ and him crucified. Mm. And so he goes into his uh, pastorate there. They had, 
they had begun to use the tactics that we want to use now. So politics was very big for them. They to bring people in, they would talk about political issues. They wanted to entertain people. So they had a big stage and they would put on plays and that sort of thing, dramas to try to illustrate these truths, because remember, no one will listen to preaching Uh, music. You have to have music to try to draw people in, et cetera. So they were using carnal means to try to attract carnal men. Lloyd Jones saw that as a lack of trust, a lack of confidence in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so when he went in to, to take this pastorate, step one was he got rid of all that stuff. Yep. And because he's look at, not because he was anti-stage, but because he was pro-preaching Christ and him crucified. What did he see? He didn't go to... You know, for what it's worth, he didn't go to a theological education. He just had the book of Acts. He just had the scriptures to look into and say, what do these men do? And so he imitated that and in the right kind of way and did see blessing. I mean, there's the famous kind of story. They said, well, what do you what do you want us to do with this stage? And he said, well, you can heat the church with it for all I care, you know, (laughs) but it wasn't. And I think this is an important point to make, too. He didn't then go and form the anti-stage coalition of churches. So if you're anti-stage, you know, we can all link together and have a big anti-stage conference. What the things that he was anti, they weren't based in personal preference for him. They were, they were based in the things that he did like, like Christ and the, and the gospel and Mm. whatever was in the way of that, he got rid of it. But not so that he could be some kind of campaigner against certain things, but so that he could do whatever it takes to get whatever's in the way of preaching Christ and him crucified out of the picture so that they could then preach Christ and him crucified. Yeah, amen. And, you know, just saying off the back of that, uh, you know, Lloyd Jones's heroes were the guys like Whitfield. And um, Daniel Rowland and, you know, I, <clears throat> Ivian uh, Evans and, uh, or not Ivian Evans. Um, I didn't think he was that old. <laughs> I was just going to say, not Ivian Evans. Um, who am I thinking? We were just talking about him before. Um, old oh, hymnist. Oh, oh uh, William Williams. William Williams Panikellen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but William Williams Panikellen took a guitar in the 18th century into pubs and played hymns. What a hippie. And preached. And so, you know, you don't realize how radical these guys were during the Methodist revival. And Lloyd-Jones used to say, you know, some people take vacations by the seaside. He goes, I go to the 18th century. So he would go back to the, and that's where he would find his soul refresh. Well, these guys were radical frontliners. And so Lloyd-Jones, when he goes to... Uh, industrial Port Talbot. It's a steelworking town. It was the Detroit of its day. And, and trust me, Detroit has nothing on Port Talbot. Um, it, it was a rough place. And he goes there and he is radical, but he it, it, not radical in the sense that, uh, you know, he's out there doing it. He did. He went old school and that was radical. Everyone told him it yeah. would not work, as you pointed out. And yet the the church literally was when he got there about 70, 80 people, if if I recall. And by the time he left there, it was pushing 600 yeah. and almost all new converts. And I, I remember when I first got there, I went to uh, an old folks home to visit uh, a woman who, gosh, she was almost 90 years old. And her parents had, had been converted under the ministry of Lloyd-Jones. 
Mm-hmm. And when I talked to her, I said, um, you know, I just asked her a little bit. And there's a, a stone wall out in front of the church, as you're aware, Matthew. And mm-hmm. there's a wrought iron railing there. And she said, my parents were going for a walk one Sunday evening. And in Wales, still to this day in traditional churches, they have in the morning is the teaching and at night is mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you, you would have a gospel sermon preach evangelistic in nature. And she said her parents were walking the dog on a Sunday evening, taking a stroll. And they said that uh, they, they passed the building. And by that time, it was already just in full swing. And uh, God had been really working there powerfully. And they, they pass by and they go, what are people singing about like that for? Mm. And they literally tied their dog to the railing, went inside, and were converted under the preaching of the gospel. And yeah. walked out, converted. And she said, that's yeah. how my parents came to faith. And I grew up under the doctor. Pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, you know, so he was he was radical in, his, in the simplicity of his devotion to Christ. Um, and that the Lord honors that. And it's important for us to understand that that was just as countercultural in 1920s Wales as it was in 1930s and 40s London as it was in the first century Jerusalem, as it will be in 2015 where you are, or in 2115, 100 years from now when we're all dead. It will always be very radical to just the simplicity of devotion to Christ. And there will always be those who want to deceive you with philosophy and other kinds of things to say, hey, that won't work anymore. We have to do other things. Yeah, that's why for me, this video, it will stir you and it will challenge you as a church planner. What in the heck have I been doing? And I believe, well, Matthew, I'm going to ask you, why did you make this film? Why did this film need to be made? Well, we want to encourage people to uh, the, the commitment to preaching Christ, the commitment to the, to the, conserv- to the, to the, to the scriptures, to preaching the scriptures in the power of the Spirit. Uh, to plead with the Lord. I mean, we, we live in a, in a good day. Wherever you are doctrinally, uh, if, you, if you tend to hold to uh, the doctrines of grace, if you consider yourself to be reformed, well, there's this great reformed resurgence that's taking place all around. And so people are getting, a, you might say, a biblical soteriology. Uh, if that's your soteriology, then you're very happy about that. But where's the fire? Where's the power? Is it found in, in, in um, is it found in external manifestations of trying to work up fire? Is is that what we're looking for? You know, what do we see in church history? What do we see in the New Testament? We see the power of the Word of God in, delivered in the power of the Spirit of God, and the result that we see from that is people are regenerated, people are born again, and people are brought into this simplicity of devotion to Christ. And so we long to see that in our day. We, we, we see that there are so many pitfalls on either side. And it's, you know, we have in the book of Hebrews, we have the hall of heroes, which is to encourage us to run with endurance the race that's set before us. Mm. And so we, we still, you know, I still believe that Christian biography is a means of grace for us to see that. You know, we're not the first people to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's nothing good about old stuff, and I'm not interested in old stuff. 
I'm interested in real stuff. I'm interested in what's genuine and what has been real. Um, and so we, uh, we, we think, we feel that Lloyd Jones life, um, is such a good, such a clear pattern for us in life and in ministry. And so we really, we want to encourage people in the simplicity of devotion to Christ by a life that was lived that way, a ministry that was lived that way, and that was blessed of God. Hmm. It's logiconfire.org. Make sure that you go there. And guys, I cannot recommend this thing uh, heartily enough to you. Um, Definitely go check it out. And um, the other question I want to ask you, Matthew, is um, this, like I said, it, it is well-crafted. It is professionally done. Um, my heart was ready to pull out of my chest, both for whales and, of course, seeing so many of people I would call friends, mentors, colleagues, uh, actually on the video, people I served with, people I preached with, preached in their pulpits, uh, owe them a lot personally, just to see this band of brothers uh, men that are tackling uh, whales for the gospel, not just whales. I mean, obviously, uh, it's not just about his ministry in whales, but, but obviously he had a special place in his heart uh, for whales. He saw that as a, a huge mission field. But as you made this film, um, it was obvious to me, like this was a labor of love. What was, being a guy who who obviously knows a lot about the doctor, um, what uh, was the most surprising thing to you? What was the most surprising discovery in making this film? Wow. Well, I think just getting to know his family and then getting to know uh, who he was as a husband and who he was as a father and who he was as a grandfather. There are things in the film from, from his grandchildren and, and daughters that will surprise a lot of us. I mean, I mean, commits the doctor. He wore a three-piece suit everywhere he went. He wore it to the beach. I mean, he's, he was as old school as, he, as it can be. And there were people who tried to imitate that part of him, which is a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, I'm not telling you that you should go try to talk like Wood Jones or dress like Wood Jones or anything like that. But he was sort of a, a what you would consider to be, and especially if you look at him on the covers of the books, he's very stern. You tend to think of him as very serious. You know, I often think as I'm about to drop in on a half pipe, I think, you know, would, would Lloyd Jones drop in on this half pipe? You know, I'm not so <laughs> sure. Man. You know, like am I, WWMLJD, you know, what would Lloyd Jones do? I'm not so sure he would, you know, but to find out that to see the human side of this guy, that he was a man, he was a grandfather who loved to have his children on his lap, who loved to play snooker and, uh, croquet and all of these different things. Uh, that was really surprising to me just to hear that from the family. And it was such a joy for the family to be able to get that out, to be able to communicate that to the world. Mm. Yeah. And, and they do have a passion for that. I've got a buddy who spent about eight hours interviewing. Uh, I can't remember if it was um, Elizabeth Catherwood, but um, one of his uh, daughters and mm-hmm. just Elizabeth or Anne. It could have been, it could have been, but uh, he was, um, he was quite the, quite the, the family man and people don't know that. And that's important for church planners as well. Here's one of the guys that's probably the most influential preacher, I would argue, and leader of the 20th century, Christian leader. We owe so much to him. There was an evangelical resurgence that came through his ministry 
that uh, often goes uncredited. But mm-hmm. um, in in Ian H. Murray's uh, amazing two volume biography of him, there's a chapter towards the end of volume two where he actually talks about all of the ministries that started out of Westminster Chapel, which is where Lloyd Jones took over from G. Campbell Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during I think it was 1938. And, um, you know, just the impact that this man had. Guys, um, the impact he will have on you, I cannot even tell you, but I can tell you personally in my life, as I've, as I've said before, um, he has been the most impactful preacher, even, dare I say it, more than Charles Spurgeon, um, mm-hmm. just because there was very much, and I've said this about C.S. Lewis, um, and as Matthew pointed out brilliantly in this interview, that the times we're facing today where the foundations are being eroded of evangelicalism, um, orthodox uh, preaching, um, that the timeless principles of the New Testament are under attack. And often by people who say, well, you know, we have better ways to do uh, these things. You know, these are modern times after all. He heard all of that. He challenged it. And he allowed the spirit of God to vindicate himself through the preaching of the gospel. And he saw results that no one else did. In fact, statistically, um, evangelical churches that preach the mainline gospel uh, still today are growing churches Uh, in the toughest places in Europe. They are the only churches that actually grow. And so I think that, you know, one, it's not pragmatism that we're talking about here. We're just talking about uh, Jesus said, hey, the gates of hell will not overcome or prevail against my church if it's built on this foundation of who I am, the gospel itself. And so with that, you know, I'm going to thank Matthew, my guest, for being on here. Matt, thanks for coming on. You're very welcome, man. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great. Definitely pick this thing up, logiconfire.org, and check out the other resource that they have, again, that comes with the set, and it is Behold Your God. Where can they find that if they just want to check out that series to go through at their church? Yeah, you can see the trailer, and you can go through the entire first week of that 12-week multimedia study at beholdyourgod.org. All right. Well, hey, it's been hard for me not to preach on here because uh, you're talking about something I'm passionate about. But uh, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Stay on the front line, guys, and I'm going to let Arnold sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.